We thank you for Jesus, Lord. We thank you for his love for us. We thank you for your love for us in sending your only begotten son. You so loved the world. We thank you that death could not hold him, that he rose again as our conqueror, conquering sin and Satan and death on our behalf. We thank you that in Christ Jesus we live. In Christ Jesus we have life and life abundant. In Christ Jesus hell is shut and heaven is thoroughly and abundantly and forever open to us. We thank you for these precious and powerful truths, Lord, that we are justified in Jesus Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, declared just, holy, as if we had never sinned because our sin was placed upon Christ on that cross and his righteousness has been placed upon us. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. So great a Savior. We ask now, Lord, you open your word, that, Father, you grant unction in the pulpit, that you grant clarity and reception in the pew. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, verse 3 and 4. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and from a good conscience and from sincere faith from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk Desire to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they teach nor the things which they affirm. This is the Apostle Paul writing to young Pastor Timothy to charge some that they teach no other doctrine, to charge them not to give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith, in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some having strayed, having strayed from faith, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So the Apostle Paul writes there in those two portions of 1 Timothy 
to young Pastor Timothy, exhorting him to defend the faith, exhorting him to contend for the faith, to charge some they teach no other doctrine. For they're bringing fables into Christ's church rather than the word of God, rather than the doctrines of the faith, rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ. He warns later in his epistle, his letter to Pastor Timothy, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. His opening admonition might leave you cold, might leave you better than cold, at least concerned. I mean, fables, we don't want to believe in fables, but we might be left a bit cold in our concern. We're not concerned enough. So as the Apostle Paul moves along, the heat is turning up, and now we're very close. In fact, we're right to hell itself. The Spirit The Holy Spirit of God expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Demons, doctrines that come right from the pit of hell, coming into Christ's church. That's what the Holy Spirit warns us about. And there are many who seem to be left cold, They have no concern at all about false doctrine and false teachers and their false teachings. There are many that have a mild concern, maybe even a sincere concern, but tragically there are few that talk about doctrines of demons, how they should be spoken of. There are few that warn about the doctrines of demons that are prevailing in our day. There are few, tragically, to our shame, who would dare to call the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church doctrines of demons, which is what they most certainly and clearly are. To the shame of those who dare to fly the Reformed flag, there are very, very few in the Reformed camp who speak clearly regarding the doctrines of demons that come from the Pope of Rome, his bishops and his priests, and constitute his seven sacraments and catechism. Doctrines of demons beginning to end. Charles Spurgeon said this, Everybody admires Luther. Yes, yes. But you do not want anyone else to do the same thing today. When you go to the zoological gardens... You all admire the bear, but how would you like a bear at home or a bear wandering loose in the street? You tell me that it would be unbearable, and no doubt you are right. Love that sense of humor. He continues, so when we admire a man who was firm in the faith, say 400 years ago, The past ages are a sort of bear pit or iron cage for him, but such a man today is a nuisance and must be put down. Call him a narrow-minded bigot, or give him a worse name if you can think of one. Yet imagine that in those ages past, Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, and their compeers had said, the world is out of order. But if we try to set it right, we shall only make a great row and get ourselves into disgrace. 
Let us go into our chambers and put on our nightcaps and sleep over the bad times, and perhaps when we wake up, things will have grown better. Such conduct on their part would have entailed upon us a heritage of error. Age after age would have gone down into the infernal deeps, and the pestiferous bogs of error would have swallowed all. These men loved the faith and the name of Jesus too well to see them trampled on. Hear that. That's vital. These men loved the faith and the name of Jesus too well to see them trampled on. Do you love the faith? Do you love Jesus who loved you and died for you? If you do, then you cannot tolerate his name and his gospel being trampled upon by unholy feet, no matter whose feet they are. You can't tolerate it because you love him who so loved you. Just like you couldn't tolerate someone trampling upon your precious child, your little baby, trampling upon your elder father or mother, trampling upon your dear husband or wife in the street. You can't tolerate Unholy men coming with their doctrines of demons from the pit of hell, trampling upon your precious Savior and His gospel. Because you love Him. I say to so many out there today, where is your love? I say to many who would call me narrow-minded and a bigot for daring to hate that which God hates, for daring to hate that which is damning my fellow man, I say, where is your love? Spurgeon again. These men loved the faith in the name of Jesus too well to see them trampled on. Note what we owe them and let us pay to our sons the debt we owe our fathers. It is today, as it was in the Reformers' days. Decision is needed. Here is the day for the man. Where is the man for the day? We who have had the gospel passed to us by martyr hands dare not trifle with it, nor sit by and hear it denied by traitors, Doug Wilson, who pretend to love it, but inwardly abhor every line of it. The faith I hold bears upon its marks the blood of my ancestors. Where is your love for them? Shall I deny their faith, for which they left their native land to sojourn here? Shall we cast away the treasure which was handed to us through the bars of prisons, or came to us charred with the flames of Smithfield, where men and women were burned at the stake for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Where is our love for them? The title of today's message is Doctrines of Demons. How should you feel towards doctrines of demons? Oh, I, I dislike them. But you know what? I dislike the term more than I dislike them. That term is so negative. I'm so uncomfortable with it. To what doctrines would you dare describe or ascribe that, that term? That's so harsh. It's so narrow-minded. It's so bigoted. 
It's hateful even. I mean, to call the doctrines of a particular church or churches doctrines of demons is clearly judgmental. Don't you know, pastor, judge not, lest you be judged. Oh, that we would judge rightly, which is what the Lord Jesus was truly saying in Matthew 7. We must make right judgments against doctrines of demons that assault the character and nature of God. And the doctrines of Rome assault the character and nature of God. We must make right judgments against doctrines of demons that assault the gospel of Jesus Christ, the treasure come down that we just sang about. And the doctrines of Rome very much thoroughly and unceasingly assault the doctrine of Christ's gospel. Let us look at many of those assaults today. Let us look at these various doctrines of demons. And I want you to feel how you should feel about them. I don't want you to be unmoved. I don't want you to be unbiased. I don't want you to be indifferent. I don't want you to think, once again, there's a choice between donuts. Maple donut, chocolate donut. Do you know we had donuts this morning in Sunday school and there was a chocolate donut in the box? Shocking, I know. Even more shocking, someone fell for the bait. They cut it in half, and they ate half of that chocolate donut. They passed right by glorious maple donuts, which are, of course, a picture of manna come down and shows a chocolate donut. Now, of course, that's funny. Because it doesn't make much difference whether you eat a chocolate donut or a maple donut other than showing that you have no taste. (laughs) The calorie count is about the same. But choosing between Christ's church, Christ's gospel, and Christ himself, and the false antichrist church of Rome, Satan's own church, the Roman Catholic church, and the false Christ in the wafer, and the false gospel in that wafer, is not a choice between donuts. It's a choice between heaven and hell. It's a bread of life come down or a wafer from hell placed upon your tongue by hell's own priest saying, the body of Christ, the body of Christ, the body of Christ. And that is the first doctrine of demons we will address today. Roman Catholicism's false sacrifice of Christ in the Mass. A doctrine of demons. To be despised. To be rejected. To be exposed. Paragraph 1323 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, and I quote, At the Last Supper, on the night he was betrayed, our Savior instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and blood. This he did in order to perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross throughout the ages. To perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross throughout the ages. We will get to the scriptures properly, but does anyone right off the jump here have an issue with that? A one-word issue in Greek? A three-word issue in English? To tell us die! It is 
finished. I've labored over the years, and I'm going to keep laboring to imprint, to tell us die on your heart, your mind, and your soul. To tattoo it there permanently. Because Christ finished His work. His last word on the cross, which He had to raise Himself up on His wounds. To take oxygen in His labored lungs. He had to further torture Himself and push up on His feet and pull up upon His hands, pierced for your iniquities. To take one final breath that He might cry out this all-important word that Rome blasphemes unceasingly. To tell us die. He cried out from the cross. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Will we not hear him? Will we not love him? Will we not defend him and his word, his finished work, his to tell us die, his declaration? It is finished. There we stand, there we live, or there we die. This is the hill worth dying on, to tell us die. The final pronouncement of our Savior, our Lord, our King, on the cross, on our behalf. To tell us die. It is finished. And then Rome shows up with its hellish doctrines and says, this he did in order to perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross throughout the ages until he should come again. And so to entrust to his beloved spouse, the church, because they make the church to be the vehicle of salvation, not Christ alone. So to entrust his beloved spouse, the church, a memorial of his death and resurrection, a sacrament of love, a sign of unity, a bond of charity, a paschal banquet in which Christ is consumed. Christ is consumed. The mind is filled with grace and a pledge of future glory is given to us. This is Catholicism's false sacrifice of Christ in the Mass. False sacrifice. They believe they are re-sacrificing Him. They are perpetually sacrificing Him every day in the Mass. They believe that every priest has the power of God vested in them to pray Jesus out of heaven, off his throne, into the wafer, to be eaten, as it literally said there, which is Christ consumed. A false Christ and a false gospel. A blasphemy, a denial of tetelestai. It is finished. It is hatred. Hear me. It is hatred of your Lord. That's what it is, and his gospel, and well over a billion souls perishing under that false Christ and false gospel. Paragraph 1324 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, quote, the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. It is the source and summit. Why? Because it is literally Jesus to be worshiped and to be eaten for justification, consumed for 
justification. So it is the source and summit. It's the high point. It's the high sacrament. It's the center of Catholicism. It's the center of their heresy, which is why it's in the center of my sights continually. Paragraph 1357, quote, Bread and wine, which by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the words of Christ have become the body and blood of Christ. Christ is thus really and mysteriously made present. He is really there. He is really bread and wine. In fact, they really say, despite what your senses tell you, despite what your eyes tell you or your tongue tells you, it is actually meat. It's Jesus meat. It's Jesus' flesh, literally. And it's actually blood, not wine, despite what your taste buds tell you. Your taste buds are lying to you. A miracle has occurred, and this is Christ's flesh and Christ's blood. That's what they teach. Again, bread and wine, which by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the words of Christ, have become the body and blood of Christ. Christ is thus really and mysteriously made present. Paragraph 1367, quote, The sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. Well, that's bold. And so his finished work on the cross 2,000 years ago, where the centurion said, Surely this was the Son of God, where the sky was blackened and the tombs were opened and the dead were raised. That and the priest praying his Latin hocus-pocus and then placing a, a bit of bread on the tongues of the faithful adherents of the doctors of demons saying the body of Christ, the body of Christ, the body of Christ, the body of Christ a hundred times or a thousand times or 10,000 times at Mass. That is one and the same. No, it's not. One is fake. One is Antichrist. One is satanic. One is a doctrine of demons. And one is the Lord of glory. Splitting time. B.C. A.D. One is the Lord of glory. Going into the holy of holies. One is fully God and fully man. Without sin. Willingly laying down his life. For sinners taking the fullness of eternal wrath on their behalf. The other is a lie. A demonic lie from hell. There is no comparison. Again, paragraph 1367, the sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. The victim is one and the same. Are you not offended? My Lord is no victim. My Lord was not captured. My Lord kept his appointment, the sovereign appointment that he made. He laid down his life. He took it up again. He was born that he might die. He took upon flesh that it might be pierced. His will was done. He is no victim. The victim is one and the same. The same now offers through the ministry of the priest who then offered himself on the cross. Only the manner of the offering is different. In this divine sacrifice, 
This bread is fully God. It's divine. And this divine sacrifice, it is a sacrifice. What happened to to Telestai? In this divine sacrifice, which is celebrated in the Mass, the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and offered in an unbloody manner. Same Christ offered again on the cross. Paragraph 1405, quote, Every time this mystery is celebrated, the work of our redemption is carried on. The power of redemption is in this Antichrist wafer being placed on the tongue by the Antichrist priest. Redemption's power. That's why it's the heart of Rome. That's why it's the source and summit of the Christian life because it's the power of redemption because it's Christ present with us to be worshipped, to be adored, to be eaten for redemption. It's another Christ and another gospel. It's the doctrine of demons. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, exposes this heresy. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past by the fathers, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, and who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you see any conflict between the word of God and the catechism of Rome? Oh, Yes. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. He's appointed Him heir of all things. He made the worlds. He is the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power. This is a magnificent Christ in Hebrews chapter 1. When He had by Himself, by Himself, purged our sins. Does he need the help of uh, the local priest up the, oh, this way, up the street? No, he does not. He doesn't need the priest's help to say a Latin spell, little hocus pocus, little rote prayer in Latin, call him down out of heaven, snap his fingers, Jesus, come on down here, get into this bread so you can be consumed, so you can be re-crucified in a non-bloody manner. So you can finish your work, which you didn't finish 2,000 years ago. Every day, all around the globe, at every Mass. When he had by himself purged our sins. What tense is that? I'm not a master grammarian, I confess. But what tense is that? My simple mind you know, gets it. What tense is that? Past. When he had by himself purged our sins. It's done. Once our sins are purged, how could I, how could I describe it? Oh, I know. It is finished! That's pretty good. Let's go with that. What tense is that? Past tense. He, by himself, purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How dare those blasphemous priests claim to call him out of heaven? 
How dare they claim to call him off his throne? Jesus, get up. Get up, I said. Get down here into this bread where I can re-crucify you in a non-bloody manner and serve you up as a meal to be eaten literally, your literal flesh to be eaten for redemption. You see, I'm not unbiased. I hate that. It is evil. It is a doctrine of demons. It is audacious. Audacious. I'm no friend to the priest on that level. And I'm his best friend that I preach the gospel even to the priest. But on the level of them calling Jesus off his throne, get up, get back to work, on the level of their blasphemy against Christ, I'm no friend of that. And that's the heart of Rome. That's the unique priestly power. When he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, hear me, he is still seated because he finished his work. And the only place in the Bible that shows him getting up is one, to receive his martyr, those who died for the gospel of the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, standing to receive his faithful gospel messenger. And at the end of the age, when he stands from his throne to mount his great white horse and to come with judgment upon all those who do not obey the gospel. Second Thessalonians. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. For such a high priest, Jesus, such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. What kind of priest do you want? I am not a priest. I might have a funny tie on, you might think, but I don't have a funny collar on, nor do I have an altar. And let me remind you again, in every true church of Jesus Christ, there's a pulpit in the center preaching the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, sola scriptura. In Rome's churches and other heretical churches like it that have adopted Rome's doctrines, the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, the other Orthodox churches, Coptic and whatnot, in those so-called churches, they have an altar, an altar upon which, in their minds and in their doctrine, they re-crucify Christ daily in a non-bloody manner, offering him up again, finishing his work perpetually, perpetually, Mass by mass. Telling him to get up off his throne and to come on down daily. What kind of priest do you want? Here's my priest. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. That's my priest. Jesus, the final high priest who offered up himself. Verse 27, Hebrews 7, 27, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices. Now, obviously, that's in reference to the Old Testament Levitical priests, but does it have any less application to the fake so-called New Testament Catholic priests? Oh, no. 
at least the Levitical priesthood was real in the Old Testament era. This is pointing out the superiority of Christ's priesthood and his sacrifice. Final high priest, final sacrifice. These faux priests, these fake priests, come with a fake sacrifice, an antichrist wafer, and this applies to them all the more. Jesus, the true high priest, the final high priest, does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices. Doesn't need to. Why? Because to tell us die. It is finished. Hebrews 9, verse 12. Hebrews 9, verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. All right, my grammarians. What tense? Past tense. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Once for all. By the way, let us back up. What place did he enter? The most holy place. You know, people tend to treat the Roman Catholic Church like it's holy. They've got all the ceremony and all the burning incense and all the idols and all the pomp all the religiosity. And so people come in and they tend to be you know, real quiet and real sanctimonious and real holy. It's a place of death. It's a place of demon doctrines. It is not holy. It's antichrist. Our high priest, the final high priest, not a fake priest, went into the holy of holies in the very presence of God. With his own blood, he entered the most holy place once. How often is his blood shed? Once. Oh, so his blood's not in that cup of wine that the priest offers up either. With his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Once you obtain eternal redemption, once King Jesus, once High Priest Jesus obtains eternal redemption, what's left to do? Nothing. Sit down on the throne as the one mediator between God and men. The work is done. Salvation, redemption, has been obtained. Past tense. Did he need any help? No. How many times does it say? I mean, again... I'm not a master grammarian. I'm not a master mathematician. But how many times did it say this needs to be done? Once. I can count that high. My challenges aside, this is past tense, done, finished. And I've got 10 fingers, so I can count all the way to 10. But I only need one, just one. One. One time. Once. You see, Rome... And Rome's friends like to make it complicated. It's not. It's not. Hebrews 9, 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Why would I bring that up? 
Well, because while they claim to re-crucify Christ, it's weird because they re-crucify Christ in a unbloody manner. Paragraph 1367, the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and is offered in an unbloody manner. And so this sacrifice they do every day with the real Christ and his real blood is actually unbloody. Well, that's a problem on so many levels. But here's another level. Hebrews 9.22, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. If the mass is an unbloody sacrifice, it's no sacrifice at all, and there is no remission. Hebrews 9, 24, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Do you, do you want a priest with a funky collar and funky robes and Funky sticks with funky emblems on them and funky incense, all sorts of funk. Yeah, I give no respect to Rome. Funky fish hats. I give no respect to Rome. It's out of hell. Don't respect it. Don't tell me how beautiful it is. Don't don't tell me how fancy the robes are. It's out of hell. Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. Is this priest gone to heaven for you? To make a sacrifice in the Holy of Holies before God? No, he just turns his back on you in the Catholic Church and he says his hocus pocus at the altar over bread that remains bread and will always be bread and will only make you dead if you eat it. For it's the bread of hell. Which priest do you want? Which priest do you want? Which priest do you want your friends and family to have? You going to let that servant of Satan bind them up under the doctor's demons and drag them to hell? For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sins. Again, my math is challenged. Help me out here. How many times? Once. At the end of the age, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Once you put it away, who got it back out? It is finished. Eternal redemption has been obtained. It has been put away. Verse 27. Oh, by the way, he appeared once to put away sin. Is he appearing at Mass every day? No, he appeared once to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Once, 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 once. I mean, maybe, maybe all my compromising theologian friends or my outright heretical Roman Catholic neighbor friends... Maybe they're all challenged in their math. But once, 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 God's not challenged. God spoke very clearly. Once. One time. 
Verse 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. So when he comes back, the whole world's going to know it. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. He's not coming every day at noon at Mass. What did the angels say to the disciples when they were standing there after the Lord had ascended and they were looking up to the heavens? They said, hey, quit it. Go wait for the Holy Spirit like he told you. When he comes again, it will be in like manner. And the whole world will know it. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, it says, Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Again, in context, that's speaking to the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament, which was a legitimate priesthood that God had commanded, God had designed, and yet those sacrifices could never take away sins. Then we have this faux priesthood, supposedly in the New Testament era of the Roman Catholic Church. Every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. If the priesthood and the sacrifice that God designed in the Old Testament could not take away sins, but was rather a picture of Christ to come, who would take away sins, put them away, obtain eternal redemption once. That's what Christ came and did. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. In contrast, but this man, Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, how many? One. How long? What's the duration? How long is this good for? Read the fine print. Forever. One forever. Again, I'm not a master of logic and reason, but I can reason my way through that. Once, and it's good forever. That's a good deal. Sign me up. Oh, praise God, he already did. (laughs) By grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ and his finished work alone. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And let me light a little fire in you again. You should be incensed that any priest, any arrogant, pompous priest would dare call your king, your Lord, and the only Savior who finished his work off his throne into a wafer to be re-crucified in an unbloody manner to finish his work every day. Get back to work, Jesus. I spoke some Latin. I said some hocus pocus. Get back to work. What a lie. What a bold, bold lie. Again, Hebrews 10, 12. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. How long will he be seated? Till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You know this one, 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 one thing. One, once. Can we not hear the Lord? Will we not receive what he has said so clearly, so expressly? It's almost like God was trying forever to keep all of these abominable, 
filthy, false sacrifices of Rome from ever dragging anyone down to hell. But we just won't hear God. Because that priest, he's so nice, he's so smiley, he's so spiritual, he's so educated, he went all the way to Rome to get that funny collar. That Pope, I mean, every year he puts a a little sheep on his shoulders at Easter and walks around and people fawn over him and try to touch him and he gets furious if they do. Again, Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. By one offering, he has perfected, how long? Forever. Forever. See, I don't want to go every day to the unholy church where the unholy priest puts his unholy hand in my mouth with an unholy wafer that he says is the body of Christ to perfect me a, a little bit today and then a little bit tomorrow and then a little bit the next day, and a little bit all the way to death, and where then, you know, I got to go suffer in purgatory too, because I I missed a few of those times. I don't want any part of that. I want the true high priest, Jesus Christ, and his final high priestly sacrifice of himself that is all sufficient forever. For by one offering, he has perfected forever. Perfected forever. One offering perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Perfected forever. That's what the Bible says. Rome shows up and says, no, 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 no. We're going to re-offer him again and 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 again. And we're going to perfect you a little bit at a time. We're going to fuse grace day after day. Infuse redemption. Another bite of redemption. Another swallow of redemption. Day after day after day. Get off your throne, get down here on this altar, get eaten and drank for justification, for redemption once again. Versus perfected forever. (laughs) You know, if a salesman came to your door and offered you two products, this product you'll have to do every day. And even then, we're not sure if it's going to work. You still may have to suffer a really long time. But I I can see you've you've got all the signs of this illness. But if you take this product, you apply this, this, you know, every day, there's hope at least. You might skip purgatory and and go straight to glory and, and have life. Or there's this other thing. This other thing. But, you know, it comes from those Protestants. It's highly speculative. Um, you know, to tell us die, finished work, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, it is done once, forever, obtained eternal redemption. There's this other thing, forever perfected. Or you can have that. Which one do you want? This one, you have to pay for, you have to work for, you have to volunteer, you have to give your time. You have to suffer, you have to say Hail Marys, you have to say Our Fathers, you have to carry on funky beads and hang them from your mirror. Uh, This one is freely given. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now it'll cost you everything, mind you. It will cost you everything. Because if you bend your knee and confess Christ as Lord, then you will follow Him as Lord. But you aren't earning your salvation here. You're not earning life. 
It's freely given. You're not earning forgiveness. It's freely given. Oh, that we would hold fast to one offering perfected forever and the clarity that that gives. All right. First Peter, what does the supposed first pope of Rome say to this topic? First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Now, Peter's a simple fisherman. He can do simple math too. Christ suffered once for sins. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Once, period, it's done, it's finished, it's over. Once for sins. He's not being re-crucified. He's not still suffering. He's not on the cross. The crucifix is a blasphemy of Christ. Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He, without the help of any church, any pope, any bishop, any priest, any sacrament, any mass. John, chapter 19, verse 30. We've been quoting it. He, Jesus said, it is finished, and bowing his head, gave up his spirit. Hurl that. Hurl that at the gates of hell unceasingly that those who are rushing through it might yet grasp a hold of it as a lifeline. Argue the simplicity of the gospel. Argue the simplicity of one word. And hear me, it is sufficient to save. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Pray to God that the simplicity of the gospel will cut through all of the vast lies, the unending doctrines of demons, deceptions upon deceptions upon deceptions. Some have made a chart of the means of salvation, the Roman Catholic means of salvation, all the sacraments and all the various sins and the levels of sins and what happens. And the chart ends up looking like, Google it. I don't know what to tell you to Google, but you can figure it out. You're smart Googlers. I'm not a master of Google either. I really only want to be a master of one thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it matters the most. But you look at that chart, you know what you see? Shoots and ladders. It's like the kid's game, shoots and ladders which is so very frustrating because you, you're getting halfway, you're making it, you're beating those kids, you are crushing them. Father is going to have victory again. And then you catch a shoot. All the way back to the beginning. And then you're gaining on those kids, you're gaining on those kids. Oh yeah, you got them, you're coming up. You're going to win it all. Fatherly glory. And you catch right before the end, right before the end, right before you go through the gates of glory, you catch another shoot, that big shoot, all the way back down. Oh, but alas, there's another sacrament, there's another prayer. You can pay the Pope, whatever, to get you going your way back up. You can spend half an eternity, only half though, in purgatory, and still have the other half of eternity, if you can do that math. Get back to me. Hold fast to the simplicity of John 19.30. He, Jesus, 
said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Romans 6, 9-11. The Apostle Paul, the theologian of the church, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, hear me, dies no more. Did you get that? Open your ears wide. Exercise those ear muscles. Dies no more. What does that do to the mass? Oh, it's undone. The mass just died. Because Jesus dies no more. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died, oh my, once. (laughs) He died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Lord knew that we like sheep tend to go astray. We like sheep, hear me, we like complex religious systems. We like works righteousness, even hideous, ugly works righteousness, i.e. Islam, i.e. Roman Catholicism throughout the ages. Look at the history of Rome. It is ugly. It is despicable. Look at the history of its popes. Ugly, despicable, shameful. But we like it. Our flesh likes it. Because when we get a long list of do's and don'ts and religiosities, we get our shoots and ladders plan out, and we're making it halfway, three-quarters of the way. We have something to boast about. Look what we have done. What is our boast? Who is our boast? Jesus. His finished work. Again, Romans 6, 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. And then Revelation chapter 1, final verse, verse 17. Revelation 1, 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He's seeing Jesus. John the Revelator is seeing Jesus. Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. What does that do to the mass? It puts it to death. Because Jesus, the final high priest, was he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And he has the keys of Hades and death. Oh, this is the heart of Rome. This is the great doctrine of demons of Rome. This is the daily doctrine of demons. This is the one that all of its adherents are participating in blaspheming the true Christ and his true gospel. And hear me, they all must repent of the mass or they are not saved. They must repent of the false Christ and the wafer or they are not saved. They must repent of adoring. They're called to adore the wafer as Jesus. That is pure idolatry and hatred of the one true Christ. They're called to eat him for redemption, for salvation, for forgiveness. Oh, 
they must repent of it. If they have not repented of it, meaning forsaken it, fled from it, despised it as God despises it, then they are not saved. Keep it simple, saints. Mark 1.15, Jesus' words, repent and believe the gospel. They must decide against, turn away from that which is against Christ and his gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. That is our message. That is our prayer. That is our ministry. Because we are reformers. Because Jesus Christ, who loved us, died for us, and rose again for us, then commanded us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And if we're to put all the nations of the earth together, the most vast nation, people group that identifies together on the earth, or at least one of the most vast nations, is the nation of Rome. Roman Catholicism. All around this globe. Let us pray for them, let us labor for them, and let us not compromise with those who profess to believe the gospel and yet have befriended Rome and trampled that which is holy, he who is holy and his holy gospel beneath their unholy feet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the simplicity of your word, the power of your word, the clarity of your word that we have enjoyed today. And yet as we enjoy that, Lord, we are further horrified by these doctrines of demons. We are further appalled by these doctrines of demons and those who minister them, those who proclaim them, those who who enact them. We pray, Father, you would burn down the church of Rome with the word of God, that its doors would forever be closed, that its captives would be set free They would flee from death, flee from hell, flee from the false Christ to the one true high priest, Christ Jesus, who once laid down his life and took it up again, obtaining eternal redemption, perfecting forever those who come to him in faith. And we pray it in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen.